you agree that, you know, it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility, even for our ancestors that did not know any better? been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation. (laughs) Well, it's another Monday here at Wake Up With KC. I'm Kimberly, and today I have an interesting topic to talk about. You know, when you see your room, your house, your car, and if there's clutter or too much stuff, that we hoard onto, could it be a sign that there's something internally going on with us? And today I have a very unique guest that's gonna join us today that's gonna talk about that and emotional labor. What is emotional labor? So Regina Lark joins us today. Regina, welcome to- Hi, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. And I, Thank you. I came across something that you mentioned in your expertise, uh, being a certified professional organizer, and you deal with um, chronic disorganization and hoarding yes. and emotional labor. Can you sort of share with us you know, how this came about for you? <laughs> Wow. All right. So, uh, yes, I can. <laughs> well, um, so I, I have to start this story by saying that I finished a PhD in women's history and my career trajectory moved from being, um, a, a adjunct professor of history and women's studies to uh, being an academic academic administrator. And in my capacity as an academic administrator, I was in a job, I I had a job that um, didn't fit me uh, personally or professionally. I can relate. This is why we do what we do now. (laughs) Yes. So it didn't fit me personally and professionally. And in June of 08, So prior to June of 08, I was out looking for other jobs. And then in June of 08, I went to Jerusalem to visit a very good friend of mine. And while I was there, I called her up while she was at work one day. And I said, Nadara, I don't want to be a tourist. How about if I do your kitchen? And she's like, Habibdi, what does that mean? And I said, now, now, hear me out. Your girls are in their 30s and you got sippy cups in the cupboard. Just let me do what I do. I'm wired this way. In my family of origin, there are six of us. Four of us are like me and two of us need us. So I'm just just naturally disposed toward order and tidy. At that time, I didn't know why I was naturally disposed to that, but nonetheless, I did the kitchen. Nadara came home and she's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And it was a good result. And then I get back to my job and I learned um, a week later that my unit was being dismantled and my position eliminated. And I thought, wow, the goddess of jobs had just done for me what I could not do for myself. 
I was, I was immensely grateful. And two months into this layoff, uh, I hadn't found a job because now we're in July of 08 and the recession has started. So I wasn't finding work and I was about to turn 50 and I'd never not worked. I mean, I had, I had a job since I was 14 years old. So I told my roommate at the time, I said, look, I'm going to organize until something better comes along. And we looked up organizers in the zip code that we were living in. And the first person to come up was a woman named Catherine Macy. And Catherine has a PhD in mechanical engineering. And I'm like, wow, organizers are smart people. Okay. Catherine knew my roommate, called her up, Regina, my roomie, blah, blah. We walked to Catherine's for dinner. I came up with the name of my company on that walk. It's a clear path. And Catherine told me everything I wanted to know about the world of professional organizing. I was clueless. Catherine did two things for me. She brought me to my first, the chapter meeting for the, the LA chapter for the National Association of Organizing and Productivity uh, Professionals. And then she hired me as an assistant for a job. And on this job, I was assigned to the boys' bathroom in Brentwood, Brentwood, California. And it was a big stinky mess. And the defining feature of this bathroom were dozens of the kids' sports buttons. They're three inches in diameter and they have their you know, buttons that you put on your shirt and the kids are in their uniforms and they've got bats and balls, dozens of these buttons. I'm like, who needs all these buttons? But apparently this family did. And so I went into the garage and I found some rope and I braided the rope and I, drope, I draped one rope around one mirror and another around the other mirror. And I decided boy A was gonna have this sink and mirror and boy B. And the mother came in at the end of the day and she goes, oh my gosh, she looked at the mirrors and she said, you made art out of the buttons. I stuck the buttons in. And in that moment, I realized that the, the, the life of a profe professional organizers are needed womb to tomb. We will set up a nursery for a new family and we will dismantle the estate when the adults have passed. Fast forward into my first year as an organizer and I'm working with folks that um, I find very curious. So one example is talking to a woman who uh, she had a lot of paper clutter and we, we talked about it. We dealt with this pile of paper and then we made an appointment for me to return a week later. And I said, Carol, when I return, um, before I come back, why don't you work on this pile? I showed you how to do it, work on this pile. And I returned the following week. And not only had she not worked on that pile, but there were other piles. And there was, there was just kind of more stuff around. And rather than judging or labeling her, I became very curious about, about that. I, I just, because I would have put, I would have dealt with the paper. Mm-hmm. And we talked about her relationship with the paper and I learned that she was, she really had a hard time with um, what I call the twin evils of procrastination and prioritization. She was just having a hard time with that. And her place was really cluttered. Well, another person that I met was asking me permission to let go of an, uh, an item 
that had been her mother's. Her mother had passed a number of years ago. And, and she was asking me permission to let something go. Should I, you know, can I let go of this? It was like, a, it was like um, an eyeglasses, reading glasses in a case. And I thought, wow, she's only known me 20 minutes and she's asking permission from me, a complete stranger. And I, find, I found that very curious. And so, long way to answer your question, I found what's called the Institute for Challenging Disorganization, ICD. And ICD is where mental health professionals meet professional organizers. So there's all kinds of amazing training and coursework and, and um, curriculum happening because I recognize that not everybody is wired like me. So I was able to do Nathara's Kitchen because as I've come to learn, my brain is wired in such a way that the part of the brain that allows us to be on task, on time, emotionally managed, to have the ability to sequence, plan, prioritize, all of these brain functions come from the part of the brain that we call the executive functions. And the executive functions is time management, emotional management, planning, processing, prioritizing. The executive function of our brain, Kimberly, got us on this call at the time. I was here when you told me to be here mm -hmm. because I have a good relationship with time. So at, at, at the bottom of the hour, I knew I had 15 more minutes. And because I have a good internal clock, I could pretty much gauge what 15 minutes looks like. So, so I'm embarking on this whole program of study and I'm looking at this concept of chronic disorganization. And chronic disorganization can be described, uh, can I, uh, uh, I have kind of a, um, I, I, I tend to speak in, in, in um, curse words. <laughs> hey, this okay. is an open, open, <laughs> you can speak whatever you want. <laughs> I tend to not apologize either. So, um, so I've come to understand that chronically disorganized people are folks that were born with a brain type where they never felt like they could get their shit together. They're the, they were the kid that was sent into the bedroom to clean it up and they were in there going la 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 or I don't know what to do or um, work, starting on one part of the room and then getting distracted and going to the next. And so people with ADHD, people with anxiety, depression, people with bipolar disorder, people who are getting chemotherapy, um, folks who are in major life transition, marriage, death, birth, divorce, severe medical diagnosis of themselves or, or a loved one. All of these um, parts of life, when, when, when life happens, it's going to impact the executive function part of our brain. And even me, my, my EF, my executive function, I'm usually firing on all pistons. I also don't have many distractions. I live alone. I don't even have a goldfish, right? 
I, I, I don't have, I don't have um, children. My parents are in great shape, so I'm not caregiving parents. I'm a very solo, I have a very solo life in many respects. Rich in friends, but I live alone. Should I get an illness? Should something big happen? Probably I'll, I'll get off my game a little bit. So our executive function gets us on task on time. And for the chronically disorganized, so people with executive function dysfunction, executive function disorder, people with ADHD, ADHD could very well be called executive function dysfunction because ADHD impacts that part of the brain. And one day I was with a client, Sylvia, and we were in just a cluster of clutter. And so I'm talking with her about the brain and why she may be dealing with this clutter. But she starts telling me how much shame she has Ooh. and anxiety, and she's embarrassed. And she's embarrassed because she can't get a handle on the clutter. And she sees the clutter as a reflection on her housekeeping skills and abilities. And she was just taking it all on. And I sat there and I thought, okay, well, there's a chronic disorganization piece here for sure. And it turns out she has ADHD and she was one of those people <clears throat> who've never been able to get their shit together because she's had this brain-based condition. It's not an excuse. It's, it's, it's just a condition of the brain. It's, it's got nothing to do with being lazy or, or uh, anything. It's just, it's how your brain is wired. We can't change the color of our skin. We can't change the way our brain is wired. Although we can, with, with a lot of work, we can redirect the neurotransmitters, right? Right. But I'm going to leave that over here. So she's telling me about her shame and despair and anxiety for not being a good homemaker or allegedly. And I, I took her hand I, and we just sat on the floor and I said, Sylvia, just because you have a vagina doesn't mean to the man or born. Just because you are female doesn't mean you're supposed to know how to do this. And I, I began a conversation with her, which has now turned into my book that's coming out in October. It's called Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. Awesome. And we sat there and I, and I explained the narrative. Why do we call this women's work? And so I put my women's history PhD hat on and I gave her women's history 101. And, and basically the narrative, the, the narrative is this simplified. At the end of the American Revolution, there's a lot of talk about, here we are growing a nation. Who are our future leaders going to be and where are they going to come from? 
And the idea was that our future leaders need to come from a well-ordered home because in a well-ordered home, we learn the qualities of thriftiness and sobriety and piety and, and um, um, being of service. And those are the types of leaders that we want for our country. And where are these leaders going to be shaped? They're going to, be, they're going to come from a well-ordered home. And the well-ordered home is going to be run by a white middle-class woman. Now, again, broadly defined, we don't really have the stratification of classes in 1790 that we do today, but broadly speaking, generally speaking, we see the emergence of this ethos that has come to be known as Republican motherhood. Not Republican party motherhood, but the idea of the Republic. We're gonna create this Republic and Republican motherhood, it's as if the weight of the Republic is now placed on her shoulders because now she's responsible for raising the next, the, the next future leaders of the country and she better get it right. So now the weight of the Republic rests on her shoulders and, and, and thought leaders of the time, Thomas Jefferson being one, is, is all about what a woman's role in the home is, is to be. And of course I get the, <laughs> I get the incongruity of this uh, slave owner um, raping his slaves, you know, he has a very interesting relationship to women on the plantation. But the women who belong in the big house, right? It's their responsibility to raise the future citizens. So he's really, the, the, the remarks of these future leaders are really directed toward the women in their social sphere. So now we have this, the weight of the Republic is on the shoulders of, of American um, white women. And, and over that next century, we see the development of this ideal becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Women's magazines are hugely popular after the American Revolution and, and through the through the 19th and 20th century. Women's magazines, hugely popular. We, 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 we don't even realize the extent in our, in our contemporary culture, how significant they were. And that women's magazines were designed to keep women oriented to their, their role as, as wife and mother. And the role of wife and mother becomes known as a woman's work is never done. This is a labor of love. And, and they're imbued with this idea we call the cult of domesticity, piety, purity, domesticistic, uh, domestic submissive. And, and these were to inculcate you into the role of the ideal woman. World War I emerges. 1918, the US gets involved in the end of 1917. And a couple of things happen. One, men leave the workplace in droves in order to be part of the war effort. And, and um, white, educated, middle-class women, working in middle-class women enter the paid workspace. And they're brilliant at it. 
But an interesting thing transpires when when men were the secretaries and the typewriters and the and the admin support prior to World War One. The relationship in the workplace was between a father son. It sort of resembled father son. Come on, I'll show you how I made it to the top. Mm-hmm. When men leave the paid workforce and women enter the paid workforce, that white collar relationship changes so that women now start wearing a pink collar. And the pink collar is in, in some ways representative of their role as wife and mother because they are seen as now they're going to be making the coffee. Now they're going to be buying gifts for the, the office or for the boss's wife. They're going to start performing the duties that I I will call emotional labor in the paid workforce. War ends, women are asked to leave or forced to leave. Women's magazines are are returning to uh, this idea of spending the entire day cleaning and cooking and prepping and preparing for your family. World War II comes along. Women's magazines change yet again. You don't have to spend all day cooking. You can prepare your meals in five minutes. Your kids are going to be fine. We are going to go out into the paid workforce for the duration for war. World War II ends. And women loved, so many women loved being in the paid workforce. They became riveters. They, they, you know, they were, they were um, translators and transcribers and, and they were making planes and they were building you know, amazing things. They're making parachutes. And so many of them love the work. As one woman in a film that I used to show in class, she goes, I had all the credentials and certifications to be a welder. And they weren't hiring women welders. And she said, I wanted, I always wanted to make a beautiful wrought iron gate. Was that too much to ask? Because now you have to leave the paid workforce And so women's magazines change yet again. No longer is it okay to make a meal in five minutes. Here's the recipe for all day. So culturally and socially, women are told the role that they're going to play with each generation. But the thing that didn't change ever was the fact that her role in the home is what keeps the home together. We never hear this sentence, a man's work is never done. We never hear that sentence. And so while I'm on the floor talking to Sylvia about her her shame and despair and upset, I'm looking at somebody with executive function dysfunction, right? She She was diagnosed with ADHD And she's also living with the fact that as a person with ADHD, she can't possibly do it all. Actually, no one can do it all. But looking at her role as wife and mother as something that she's failing at because she's not able to fulfill this role and how she was raised. So all of that brought me to start a deep dive into research on this concept of emotional labor. And emotional labor was first coined by a sociologist named Arlie Hochschild. And she had a book in the 1980s called The Managed Heart. 
and the managed heart described flight attendants and food servers and the ways in which flight attendants and food servers have to always put their best foot forward and service with a smile and the customer's always right. And they're not necessarily getting paid for this by their employer. They're getting paid for that by tips. Right. Okay. So it's unwaged work. The work of kindness and, and don't get me wrong. We need this work. We need the emotional labor. It's, it's, it's how we stay in touch with people. It's, it's, it's sending cards. It's having birthday parties. I mean, the, the tasks surrounding emotional labor, remembering to get the cake and the candles and the card, remembering to invite people. I mean, it's not just we're going to have a birthday party. There are multiple tasks involved. And the work is largely unwaged, invisible, unnoticed, unrecognized, unacknowledged, and yet, and, and undervalued. And yet, it's super valuable. It's super important. We've got to have emotional labor for our humanity. But is it women's role, really? Because what I've come to understand is that in order to do good emotional labor, in order to be on task, on time, in order to make sure that the cake is picked up from the bakery or it's ready for the party, you need to have a functioning executive function. Right. You need to have that. You do not need a vagina. <laughs> right? You don't. The only body part that we need for emotional labor is the cranium. Mm -hmm. So it would be safe to say then, Regina, that it all stems from not only history, but it created a limited belief, a mental programming and emotional energetic traumas from even way back then. And women did not really have a voice going back into 77 they weren't even they they weren't even allowed to vote right but again you're 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 up against how religion is being interpreted you're you're up against perception and mm -hmm. so there's not even you know i would imagine for a lot of women you know a lot questioned it yeah <laughs> That's how we enter the first, second, and third wave of the women's movement. They are loud and, you know, but I think the majority over different periods of time don't even know there's a question. Right. They just don't know there's a question. And the other part of that equation in terms of how we raise boys into men, I'm gonna back up a moment. I did a lot of focus groups for my book and, uh, one of the questions that came up was um, delegation. How do we delegate? And so many women say, uh, have told me that their husbands are willing to do different tasks around the house, but after a couple of weeks, they give the task back because she's better at it. And, and it's like, well, of course she is. She's been exposed to it her entire life. Mm -hmm. Half the population hasn't been exposed to it their entire life. 
So I say, put them in front of YouTube. <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I, I don't know how to respond to, well, I do know how to respond. Sometimes it's not kind, but I, I think about it's in the best, you know, men, and I'm, again, I'm speaking in very general terms, and, and there's so much data to back this up. There's so much research to back this up. Um, but there seems to be um, an investment for men or husbands in the status quo. And especially during the pandemic is, is what I know, this is what I noticed. When everything shut down and now corporate America is in our living rooms, our kitchens, our bedrooms, and our bathrooms. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, the invisible is about to become visible. I was so excited. Kimberly, it has not. Statistics show in this pandemic a couple of things. One that was very revealing. Back in October, November, the economist said that we entered a she session. And a she session is a recession that impacts mostly women. Mm -hmm. Since women are the primary providers of childcare and caregiving and elder care and, and, and teaching and the classroom and K through 12, um, cafeteria workers, all those jobs dried up. And if the jobs didn't dry up and 72% and of professional women, 72% of workers in white collar jobs were able to work from home, a huge majority of those, a huge number of those women, uh, like 800,000 left paid workforce in order to um, manage the household. We, we lost a lot of ground. Women lost a lot of ground during this recession. They left the paid workforce in order to care give. Husbands tended to take on more child care and cooking, but not the emotional labor and not the kin work and not cleaning. They're not scrubbing toilets, sinks or tubs. Um, I devoted a web page to um, um, family law attorneys because I, I assumed that the pandemic would would um, re reveal some ugly stuff in a household. And so my my team of ninja organizers here in LA are prepared to help divorcing couples dismantle their space. I have researched and talked with so many people that um, have for, for years, if not decades, with the other adult in the household about picking up, loading the dishwasher, <laughs> the activities of daily living. So, uh, so when I think about all the women over the last two millennia with ADHD being mm -hmm. raised or executive function disorder, being raised to inhabit you know, the ideal woman 
Wow. Wow. I, I, my heart just breaks into over and over and over again. When I think of the women who have just walked through their lives filled with so much despair and, and feeling that they never measured up. Well, not only that, but, and, you know, I'm even looking at, you know, my generational, you know, line and the, the patterns and the programmings. It was the woman, the woman was like barefoot and pregnant. And I, and it comes from a, of the religious background as well. The husband was the breadwinner. The woman stayed home, barefoot, pregnant, cleaning the house, making sure the, you know, when the husband got home, there was a hot dinner. Right. And I was like, hold up a second. <laughs> Something wrong with this picture. <laughs> that was then. This is now. You know, now it takes two adults to work to provide a family. Sure. And even, you know, when I was married, I'm divorced now, thank God. <laughs> but it was like, you know, the attitude of, oh, I'll take care of the outside. You take care of the inside. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. why? You're, you're, we're, we're both together. We're supposed to be partners. This is a unified work. It's not one does one and the other. It's we both help each other kind of well, thing. And so much of it, the, the, the division of labor in the household has, is, is rarely equitable. And um, it's often divided by perceptions of gender roles. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the fascinating parts of my research was interviewing, doing a focus group with gender non-binary folks. And uh, we had uh, lesbian couples, gay couples, and um, couples that identify as, as gender non-binary. And my big takeaway from that is that the household duties are often shared equitably because when two men go into a living situation together, they have to talk about everything about who's going to do what they have to talk about it. And so straight women are also are always very amused and chagrined when they learn that gay men can fold clothes and load a dishwasher just fine. You know? and it's got nothing to do with. Um, Gender. Yeah. <laughs> I find that fascinating. It is fascinating. It, it is. I'm like, wow. And it, and it just lets me recognize like who's still stuck in the past. The it's not, a, it's not in the past. It's in the present, Kimberly. We can't say they're stuck in the past because we're living this today. We have, we have couples in their twenties getting married, talking about their frustration with the division of labor. Mm -hmm. So I, we have to move away from, from the past from the mental programming and the emotional energetic traumas. They're, they're, they're okay. living it continuously right, right. in the present day. But we, can't say we can't say they're stuck in the past because they don't know this history. What they know is what they're living. Mm -hmm. And it may be part of the DNA, this, this, this historical emotional trauma, but most people don't know the 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 etiology of it right the subconscious how the they're sure. operating in the subconscious level right. now with this um with the programs that you have and what you have available of how to 
uh, I guess rewire, you know, with the ADHD and, you know, the um, disorganizing chronic, you know, disorder and whatnot. What tools or besides the book that you have coming out, what other resources can others uh, get a hold of with, okay. with for you, resources, tools, and whatnot? So if you're somebody um, who suspects you have ADHD, your kid was just diagnosed, probably you, probably it's genetic and you should probably get tested. If you have noticed you have issues with your relationship with time. I mean, I look at public storage, you know, the ubiquity of external storage. I call it the land of indecision and emotional mismanagement. Oh, wow. Stick stuff in there that we think we may need someday. Mm -hmm. We're not emotionally managed to come up with a scenario of what someday actually has to look like. So if you're somebody who that this idea of, of executive function dysfunction, if that resonates at all, my best suggestion is to go to chad, C-H-A-D-D.org. Chad is this amazing international organization for children and adults with ADD. Um, they have a ton of free resources. Um, get to know your brain. That's a huge, a huge piece of this. Become curious about why you are frustrated, why you have anxiety, why you may have clutter. It's not because you're stupid or lazy. It's really got to do with how your brain is wired, pure and simple. The other suggestion would be to get a hold of my other book. It's called Psychic Debris, Crowded Closets, The Relationship Between the Stuff in Your Head and What's Under Your Bed. Yeah. And and it's, it's a narrative about how to look at our environment and our relationship to the environment differently. Awesome. Do you have any workshops that now that things are starting to open up or? I get asked to do workshops, but I don't, I don't produce them. I mean, I'm running my company. Uh, I have 13 employees. We're all over Southern California, San Bernardino, Riverside, Los Angeles County, Orange County. And so um, keeping that going, keeping that train going yeah. is, is um, very good use of my time. But I do get asked to speak on time management, um, emotional labor, uh, and, and what I call declutter 101. And, and I do those. But but I really encourage your audience to develop um, a surface or a deeper sense of curiosity about themselves. You know, just be curious. Don't label, judge, or resent yourself or others. Be curious about why you put this there when you wanted to put it there. Just like, oh, the phone was ringing, that's why. Be kind and gentle with yourself. Yeah. You know? I think a lot of us, you know, sort of beat ourselves up and, and we dwell on it. And then we dwell on it. Yes, yes, yes. And mm. it's like I am teaching my my girls. It's like, okay, so 
you know, this didn't work out. It doesn't mean you made a mistake. Right. It doesn't mean you failed. It just right. didn't work. It's right. an experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an experience. <laughs> that is it. What'd you learn from it? What yeah. worked and what didn't work? Well, if it didn't work, find and think of a new way. Good information. Yeah. So it's just, that's all your, we're observers in life. That's it. Yeah. Having yeah. an experience. Exactly. So I am so happy to have you on this show today. Thank you, Kimberly. Very Thanks for inviting me. And I look forward to your book coming out. Maybe we'll, I'll have you back on the show so we could talk more about the book. Lovely. What it's about and how you're making a difference with this book. And thank you for the history. I love <laughs> history. I love history. <laughs> so, and, right. and women played a key role and not a lot. Of, I don't think a lot of people understand about, you know, what women did behind the scenes. Right. And in front of the scenes. Mm hmm. You know, it's so funny. It's, it's, we keep hearing, we, and we still have women firsts. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been a nation for 150 years. We still have women firsts. Just mind blowing. It is. <laughs> it, it, and it gets me even more excited and more inspired. And that's why I started this podcast. It's now it's time to speak up, speak the truth get, you know, remind people of history. There's certain yeah. parts that it's not talked about. There's history, there's science, there's spirituality. Everything comes in tangent together and you're part of it. And thank you so much for taking the time for joining us today. Thank I am you, so Lily. grateful. All right. Have a beautiful rest of the day. You too. Thank you. Wow. That was an enlightful, very inspirational interview with Regina. I hope it helped you get an understanding more about how you're, you're wired internally in your mind. And if reach out to her, if you have any questions, I'm leaving all the information to contact her. Look forward to having more inspirational and enlightful interviews coming next Monday. Do you agree that, you know, it's time that we all wake up and take responsibility, even for our ancestors that did not know any better? I've been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation. <laughs>